0: Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Jesse.
1: Today on Tap, we have Doctor Strange, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Rachel McAdams, Benedict Wong, Mads Mikkelsen, Tilda Swinton, written by John Spathes, Scott Derrickson, C. Robert Cargill, and directed by Scott Derrickson. Quite the bullpen of writers over there at Marvel Studios. <laughs> that seems to be their M.O. with a lot of these projects.
0: I think mostly it's come out pretty good, too. Yeah. So, too many cooks in the kitchen ruin the recipe.
1: I wonder if it's a a cook or a a head chef in Mr. Feige over there.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say is if this is Hell's Kitchen, then we have uh, one big big leader in there that's sort of directing. One Gordon Ramsay. One Gordon Ramsay. and (laughs) The risotto is raw! (laughs) From some reports, not too far from those reactions from time to time as well, Josh Strink.
1: I think we'll talk a little bit about that today, especially with uh, today's director. But welcome back to Rice Smile Films. It's time to continue and stay in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and lead up to the, I want to say, highly anticipated Black Widow. I think people have been looking forward to that type of movie for a while now, waiting for her to get her own solo film, but also for them to make a film that's in the theaters and
0: not just TV. So, <laughs> Did you get your tickets yet? Not yet, not yet. We're going Thursday night. Excellent, excellent. So, should be fun. But okay. happy Sunday, everybody. This one is one that we've forecasted a lot and honestly one that I was really looking forward to. So I'm excited to do the show today. Excellent. Well, cheers, cheers to, you. to you. Cheers. Here's some more. Of the Balconies Blue Corn Texas Pot Distilled Bourbon. Still one of the best labels on any bottle that we've worked our way through on this honey and leather i get that distinctly in this i get
1: the leather a Mm -hmm. lot we really like that royal blue right there we do excellent well let's let's not beat around the bush let's get started with our flight question That little horn, that, you know, it's Chuck Mangione, isn't it? (laughs) It's not Chuck Mangione. (laughs) That reminds me of Bernard Herrmann's score for Vertigo. That like, that like when Stewart's hanging from the rafters and he's looking.
0: (laughs) It's strange you brought that up. There's another Vertigo moment that came to mind today watching this film, right? Kind of unavoidable with like the psychedelics of it also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why don't you hit us with the flight question this week? So... I'm going to give you an important role and one that I'm sure you would gladly take should Marvel offer it to you. A bullpen writer at Marvel Studios? Yep. Yeah, okay. And you've carved out yourself a niche in the industry to where they're going to give you full reign from the selection of Marvel characters. Okay. Now, the reason I'm doing this is it came from the way Marvel actually used to do some of the writing in the early days. Absolutely, yeah. They would hire a prolific writer and it, say, here is the library, pick a title you want, grab the comic book, bring it up, we'll green light it, and that's the character that you get to run with, see, you know, that's Nick Fury to a certain extent. Was,
1: it, was that guy's name Jim Stranko?
0: Sure was, yeah. Jim Stranko. exactly with Nick Fury.
1: He had an interesting kind of psychedelic art style too.
0: Man, the, the, you and me have been doing this a long time because you're taking the words out of my mouth as I'm about to utter them, exactly, and this has a definitely a psychedelic feel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can't do Nick Fury because he's already been developed, sure. but here is the task I'm giving you okay. from any of the available B-list characters, which that's kind of all that's really left, to be honest with you. Yeah. You can have crack at the property you want in any manner you want. That can be film, that can be television show, that could be podcast, okay. um, if you know anything about that. Yeah. Your choice. Okay. So you you go first, and yeah, then I'll go?
1: Uh, yeah, I'll go first. Okay. I'm going to cheat a little bit with mine. Oh, uh, here I'll, we go. No, it's but been a couple weeks since we've had this. Here's my uh, disclaimer ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I don't know necessarily from the Netflix derivative of shows of how much continuity they're bringing that into Marvel Studios and... Rumors of Charlie Cox Daredevil being in I'm not believing anything in that movie until I see it. <laughs> yeah. All the rumors and whatnot. But I don't know if those characters or that world is going to be pulled into this world of what's on Disney Plus, what's getting released in the theaters. And I feel like they did a couple of those characters pretty dirty. Uh, and hmm. maybe it's just because they didn't understand them or didn't execute them right. So okay, I want two. Hmm. And I'm going to team them up together. Marvel team up. Yep. I want Luke Cage and... Uh, Iron Fist, and I want to do Heroes for Hire properly, and I want it set in the 1970s. So not only am I going to derive from the Enter the Dragon martial arts films of the 70s, but the exploitation era, and it needs to just be a hard-hitting, gritty, like, let's just kind of get into the streets of Hell's Kitchen and just go on some quests with those two guys. Like, those are two cool characters, but I think we both agree that I don't think those shows really did much for them.
0: I love where you're going with that. Can I make... Mm-hmm. One side suggestion as your writing partner as to who I'm going to choose as support characters per casting wise. Sure, we're going to get an appearance or two in a support role by Mr. David Carradine, oh. <laughs> and another supporting appearance by Mrs. Pam Greer. Excellent! Wouldn't that be a fun show? Oh,
1: that'd be awesome!
0: So awesome! Are you talking Luke Cage with the yellow and the yes. and the and the chains and the headband, headband yeah. and all? Yeah. Oh man! And I, I want
1: Iron Fist in his get up with his oh. yellow helmet or yellow uh mask mm-hmm. they didn't uh, from you know we we were pretty high on i really loved daredevil and jessica jones where mm-hmm. i thought pretty well but the defenders was a disaster those two shows were not great uh iron fist and luke cage no and it, there's i don't think there's any reason for it i mean there's a lot of potential you could do there and i think it's era specific it's also one reason i always felt the if you did a Fantastic Four movie, you should do it and set it in the 60s and have some fun with it. So
0: I think that's a fair
1: case. So that's my choice. I know they've been done before, but I think they can be done better with the right perspective. So
0: do you like the Mike Coulter look as Luke Cage or do you want to go somewhere different? I
1: thought he was cast. Pretty okay, but yeah. uh, the other guy, uh, Finn Jones is Danny Rant. No, we got to
0: recast him. Uh, he can't look like a surf guy like that guy looks, no, right? he
1: can't. No, he needs to, uh Yeah, it's... You almost... Kind of, uh, Brandon Lee would have been perfect. Perfect. Uh, but our, to our, him. R.I.P. R- 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 so, yeah. uh, if we're going B-list, and they're pretty B-list, bordering on C-list there with the, the Hell's Kitchen fighters. I think Daredevil's the cream of the crop uh, with, with those guys. But that's who I'm going with. Um, I can't believe they didn't even just like independently think of doing that in the 70s with mm-hmm. like uh walter hill or like some of those action directors yeah i can't
0: believe that never happened uh yeah me either mm. okay. any van peoples at the directorial oh, home wow, that'd be great wouldn't it be oh, oh yeah sweet 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 badass, badass song mm-hmm. yeah exactly um give any thought to villains do you want hydra or you want to go i mean um the hand or where do you want to go I kind of feel King like Pen?
1: It, maybe they could build up to something big, but it almost seems like Heroes for Hire. It's a villain week. It's it's like uh, the Bill Bixby show.
0: Is this an episodic television show or is this a movie? Um, Boy, this is episodic television it, show it, with it what ha- you just it said, has, right? Because it
1: has those Kung Fu elements of wandering and kind of getting into shenanigans. So
0: when you do that, man, you've got me going now. I love it. hmm. Um, can we build it in an X-Files kind of way where there's a larger conglomerate that maybe we're pursuing and sort of teased out and then maybe visited twice a season and otherwise it's standalone bad guys we take down?
1: Because that's what I like. I I much prefer serial television to episodic. Like, I I really can't get into, like, the Law and Orders and the NCISs of the world, but if you're kind of keeping those interesting and building little by little to something grander, absolutely. Absolutely
0: can build in some interesting support too not with just the david carradine and pam greer but colleen wing and misty knight there's a lot of places to go with that well, night nurse too she showed up exactly. in the exactly night well, so. rosara dawson yep. good choice man yeah i'll give you well done thank I you like it thank Brian. you for letting me cheat this week so first time it's ever happened <laughs> okay i'm gonna say this first so that you can get your laugh out of the way and then i'm gonna defend it dazzler <laughs> okay <laughs> no. okay West Coast Avengers. Okay. Created by the Vision in comics around 1965. I'm going to take the powerhouse element that's somewhere just outside the top 30 most powerful in Marvel's universe entirely, and that's Mr. Simon Williams' Wonder Man. Mm -hmm. Very interesting origin story, which in itself is maybe self-serving, but I think could be very cool. Created by Baron Zemo essentially imbued with ionic powers that make him a cross between Superman and Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers' Captain Marvel. Funny because he's going to have a run with her when she's Mockingbird later on, (laughs) but there's also a really interesting love triangle that plays out between him and the Vision and the Scarlet Witch. Unfortunately, he loses (laughs) to Vision, so I guess this is the vote for android like lovers make your own way through that. Mm-hmm. Um So who else is showing up on this team? Are you going to have Hawkeye in there. Hawkeye ends up being the founding member that starts the West Coast Avengers. So maybe uh-huh. I don't know if I even need that. Mm-hmm. Um If you do Wonder Man right and he's been killed and resurrected more times than you know the telling of Jesus mm-hmm. on Easter. That's a lot. Yeah. Um If you can take the ionic powers that have manifest themselves in his character backstory and makeup and his origins, you have a really powerful being. However... He's infinitely volatile because those powers are so strong they essentially rip him asunder should he use them. Here's what else is possibility in some stories of Wonder Man, and that's the ability to transfer some of that Ionic power into just guy on the street mm-hmm. to create a temporary powerful force to either oppose or sidle with him. However, when that is in another entity, he loses that ability of force inside himself. Mm-hmm. Super speed, can fly, can heal, laser beams. It's kind of a conglomerate of a lot of things and all of that ends up being a little bit easy to write cuz you can just say we'll use this power cuz he has this one and this one and this one and so you get yourself into a bit of a mess but designed as what was originally going to be the sentry of the new Avengers. Not I don't mean the sentry the comic character, yeah, but yeah. sentry as in the powerful mm-hmm. soldier like powerhouse to lead this West Coast team. Mm-hmm. His uh, interest has faded over the years, and essentially I think as of last I knew, I think Kurt Busick killed him around 2000 or so, around there. So he's been so gone for a while now. So let me but, ask you what you ask me, TV show or movie? No, this is a movie. Okay. This is a standalone film. Um, are you calling it West Coast Avengers, or are you just calling it Wonder Man? Just Wonder Man. Okay. I think what's a possibility, though, is a post-credit scene that launches into a new Avengers team. Mm. I guess the reason I came to this is I'm perplexed. And I think what we watch today will help with that perplexation a little bit with the team identity of where Marvel might want to go. Maybe perplexed is too strong, uh, interested mm-hmm. and not seeing a whole lot of potential for another team build. Yeah. Although there's some powerhouses left mm-hmm. and I'm going to make the case today that Dr. Strange mm-hmm. Might be the second most powerful force in all of Marveldom. Yeah. Okay. And then the question is, is it hammer? or is it the time stone? And that's another discussion we'll have too. But. Yeah, because it's gone now, right? Right. Yeah. So, um, I think he presents the Superman or Iron Man like powerhouse core to this that may not be there, although Thor is still around. His power, it gets Baron Zemo to some level of significance post-Wakanda destruction or attempted destruction of Wakanda. And I think it creates some inner turmoil and conflict among what's left of the Avengers, which would be the Scarlet Witch. And I know Vision's not Vision proper, but the White Vision is still out there. So that means that he's still in play. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the dynamics that worked really well with the first Avengers team. Mm -hmm. And infinitely, he's just really cool looking. Yeah. Whether he's in his human form or ionized, he looks cool. Nice. All right, so there we go. Great
1: choices. Thank you.
0: Let's see if they make the lineup here in the near future. It's not like they
1: are uh, starred for release dates and content that they're in development on. So, I mean, if Mark Spector is getting his own television show. All him armor wars she-hulk uh she-hulk miss marvel Mm -hmm. um secret invasion there's there's a lot in the in the pipe right now and that's just the television the movies are just as packed as well so excellent excellent great choice great choice well let's dive head first right into this thing into the multiverse with our review breakdown of dr strange well i guess i'll just have to stick with nick
0: oh wait a minute you're not you guys aren't what Sleeping together. Sorry, I thought that was implicit in my disgust. A-
1: a- explicit, actually. And no, I have a very strict rule against dating comics. Oh, really? I call it the strange policy. Oh, well, good. I'm glad something's named after me. You know, I invented a laminectomy procedure, and yet somehow no one seems to want to call it the strange technique.
0: We invented that technique.
1: Regardless, I'm very flattered by your policy. Look, I'm, uh, I'm talking tonight at a
0: neurological society there. Come with me. Another speaking engagement, so romantic. You still love coming to those things with me. We had fun together.
1: No, you had fun. They weren't about us. They were about you.
0: Not only about me, Stephen. Everything is about you.
1: Mm. Very true. Yep, uh, We started last uh, week's episode, you know, talking about Iron Man and just kind of, you know, where we kind of entered in on that. So I want to do the same thing prior to this film and just, you know, the popularity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What was your experience with Doctor Strange?
0: Prior to the film? Yeah. Minimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tales of the Strange or whatever he had, Strange Tales mm-hmm. or whatever was his, That's his, yeah. his title was awful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just liked my villains a little bit more grounded than the ethereal foe Mm -hmm. of multiple dimensions. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's a bad thing going forward, Jesse. (laughs) I know. (laughs) He looked cool. Yeah. The red cape is iconic as it comes, but... And uh, it seems like that's the... I guess if he showed up in Spider-Man, which he did an occasion, I'd read him, but I'd never went to him.
1: That's the the go-to look in the Marvel universe is to let yourself go gray on the sides, right? That's mm-hmm. the Reed Richards, Reed Richards. look. It's the Stephen Strange look. Yeah. Uh, mine, I don't know if you ever saw this, but I saw like a rerun of it in the mid-90s. But in the late 70s, there was a TV movie, Doctor Strange, with this Gabe Kaplan-looking son of a bitch, and he uh, it's not good. It's mostly just because it's so boring, and they really tried to take the Incredible Hulk, uh, uh, Nicholas Hammond, Spider-Man approach of a TV movie with Doctor Strange, and obviously they can't do nearly what they're able to do in this film. But uh, more psychedelic than anything. And it was like almost like borderline like pornography at that time. So uh, that was my first experience. And I think they reran it on the sci-fi channel. And I was just, that was like the first time I ever saw the character. Did they write him as like a Lothario in that? Uh, pretty much, yeah. He's like getting it on with like a lot of like his fellow doctors and stuff in there. And Jessica Walters actually like, I think she plays Clea. In 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 the show, yeah. So they knew, it. and like Stanley, like approved it, and like was involved in the production. And that's when they were really trying to get all those guys like off the ground in like a TV esque uh, sort of fashion. I think it was a launching point to do a show of it. And no one was like, "Yeah, this we're not into this."
0: <laughs> Curious why that was the selection. Mm-hmm. Me too. When did it When did it air? You said seventy eight, seventy seven. So so like it like post psychedelic era, anyway. It's like right in that time where all those.
1: Properties were debuting on CBS. Interesting. And then after that, it was, uh, he had a pretty prominent level, I remember, in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2, where you're actually in hell, and Dormammu's there, and you actually have to make some pretty crazy what-if scenarios, which that game's really good about doing, but that was also, you got to play as him and kind of see what his skill set was, so I never... I, I, to this day, I haven't read one Doctor Strange comic book, so th- that was my experience prior to the movie. And you know, if they're going to you know really expand the universe, you would naturally probably want to include this aspect of it—the ethereal plane of uh, not 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 the the, the 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 timeline and the cosmic. This is like almost like something else entirely. Mm-hmm. So we start out here with the theft of the pages by Casillas Mads Mickelson here. And you know, we get to really see the kind of full extent of what this world's gonna look like. I I could probably just equate it to fractals, you know, if you're like, you know, fractal like in like a planetarium or something, they do like the shapes and stuff. That's really what the visuals look like. So when they like bend like space-time, whatever they call it, you know, like everything just kind of like churns and like almost like a machine, like a cog machine. And I think that's pretty cool to 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 look at. But we've kind of established our villain, and then the world with uh, Tilda Swinton as the ancient one. Uh, what do you think of this this opening? Just kind of just establishing the playing field of like what we're going to be doing.
0: I like it. It's much different than what we usually have received in the Marvel introductions. This mm-hmm. is not, even though it's in this world, it's not of this world. The presentation of the forces in those. Grim Reaper-like cloaked robes mm-hmm. with various colors are very interesting. And I think Mads Mickelson is just in and of himself a good-looking bad guy. Uh, great beginning. And here's the part that strikes me every time. They really do behead that librarian. Mm-hmm. That's pretty edgy yeah. for family fodder. <laughs> Family friendly filmmaking. Marvel. Take, your, take right? your kids to the Marvel movie. Look, man, it's still a Disney property. Lop your heads off. And they'll do a lot with like the murdering of mothers of small children, whether it be, you know, deer or ice queens. But in, do the, re,
1: in due respect, they did do it like silhouetted, silhouetted shadow. So they didn't like show you the lopping, but I know what you're talking about. It is it is a bit intense for a superhero movie
0: what's on those pages. So we have a little bit of violence. That's mm-hmm. a very formidable foe that has a nice army with him. So mm-hmm. we need some people to fight and bang around on so that we can showcase the powers of a good guy. Yeah. And then we have the question about what's on those pages. Yep. Yeah, I like it. Great yeah. beginning. Yeah. I think it's
1: it's short and sweet kind of gets, just establishes the world, this different world that we're going to be spending some time in. But what we're really here for, we're here because it's Dr. Strange. This is his film. So we have to establish them and, one thing I think Marvel's really good at, and we'll talk about this, because I think they're good at a lot of things, and I think they're also kind of poor at other things, too, and how they deliver some of their films. I think they're really good at crafting origin stories. As much as we deride the term origin stories because, oh, we got to set up another person, or we don't want to see Spider-Man and Batman's origin stories because we just know them so well, but I think Marvel has a very distinct formula, and whether it's Iron Man last week or Captain America the Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man, uh, and Doctor Strange now, probably the big ones up to this point, Thor, put Thor in there too. They're really good at doing it. They're really good at understanding how you have to craft these characters and whether you want to take them the the weakling approach with your Steve Rogers or go the asshole approach with Iron Man in this film and really kind of really make them full of themselves before you really break, bring them down to Earth and – this is my second time seeing this, not because I didn't like the first time, but you know, when you have twenty five films in your arsenal, and like, which ones am I going back to rewatch? You know what I mean? Like, it's overwhelming. Like, which ones? And honestly, I don't go back and rewatch a lot of them. It's because I'm just watching a lot of d- just movies in general. So, mm-hmm. uh, this is my second viewing. So it was it was really good. I was they do a really decent job of really establishing what a piece of shit Stephen strange yeah. is this guy would rub me the wrong way if i was a fellow doctor and he's like so smart to the point where he's like no that record didn't come out in 78 it came out in 77 i'm like that shit drives me crazy like mm-hmm. correcting to like the nth detail but that's how he's got that photographic memory that they establish he's really intellect um but he is so full of himself that audio clip i played it's all about you Stephen. it's kind of true
0: when you make the origin story of the character that's not like you said, the overplayed Batman-Spider-Man one, mm-hmm. then you have a great opportunity to build a world around the character that is breaking down that trait that we find so unlikable. In Stark's case, with Iron Man, mm-hmm. it's the militaristic element that any weapon is for sale for the right price. And with it, the playboy he's got some ego too that goes in there Mm -hmm. he's not really super likable he's charming yeah but he's not really likable strange is the same coin on the other side Mm -hmm. minus the charm yeah he really is just just a prick and pretty off-putting yeah And from the way that he says, why don't you come to the celebration and you can just sit there in the audience and help celebrate me with everyone as I wax poetic about blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, achievement 1500. Yeah. And then we can come home and you can tell me how great I was and blah, 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 to the bit when we do see his genius and it's removing the bullet from the patient's head mm-hmm. and even in that you kind of get the feeling like he's not doing it necessarily to save the person but for the challenge to like the ego part and show off mm-hmm. his own chops celebrating sure. himself yeah. yeah he's a super <laughs> egomaniac <laughs> and you know what else yeah. very accurate most surgeons yeah have a bit of that in them sure they do yeah i was really taken aback by that scene of him uh when he if th- you're a surgeon and i just put you on blast sorry it's <laughs> egotistical if you're on blast right now because i'm talking about a fictitious movie so like Literally get the fuck over yourself.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, you're right. Uh, when he's uh, driving to the benefit or awards thing that he's going to and he's looking at like the x rays in his car and he's like almost looking for like the next big challenge like, oh, that's too easy. There's 58 people that could do that. Like, give me something good. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know what I mean? It's like, it's almost like a sport for him versus
0: like the benefit. Discarding people's lives along the way. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't it just be the first one and the most. Um, Pressing one, the most immediate one. Like it's just, yeah, the, for the one that's like, yeah, like this person has like minutes to live. Like, but know. he's looking for the one that's got the most glory, as Benjamin Bratt's going to state in a few minutes. Exactly. I yeah. s- keep going. I interrupted you. Sorry.
1: No. Yeah. So, like, I, I I'd forgotten about that sequence there, but you know, they do a good job of all these moments, the moments with Rachel McAdams and this and that, and his fellow rival, Mr. West, Herbert West from Reanimator, Nicodemus. <laughs> okay, wrong West. Yeah. Uh His fellow rival uh, surgeon. Michael Stuhlberg, I, I really like that actor, and he's mm-hmm. kind of like almost Claude Rainsy in that he mm-hmm. uh, is in so many things. You've seen
0: Shape of Water and all these. Just oh, he was the the Griffin in uh, Men in Black Three. I'm pretty sure he's got a prominent role in Boardwalk Empire as well. Mm-hmm. It might even be as Capone. Don't quote me on that, but I think he's in that as that role as well.
1: He shows up and he's just like really good at like playing like the little parts they make him play, mm-hmm. but. Stephen Strange, I mean, we talk about, you know, the inciting incident of the hero, whether it's being bit by the spider or the super soldier serum or getting blasted in the chest by shrapnel, Iron Man style. Stephen Strange gets dealt a pretty brutal hand that would kill probably just about anyone else. His car accident careening over the cliff that destroys his livelihood, which is his hands. I mean, the only thing... More pressing if he wasn't a surgeon was if he was a musician, because what's he going to be able to craft with if he doesn't have the use of that?
0: I love, too, that he's in the industry that serves as the birthplace for all superheroes. Mm -hmm. They all go through this in Marvel, and that is an on-screen or on-page death to then be reborn or the genesis that takes place in the hospital, whether it's the Fantastic Four and like upon reentry into society after post breakdown in the medical world or Spider-Man or literally on the operating table in a cave, Iron Man, they all go through the same death and rebirth and then born again, medically superior what do you do if it's the doctor?
1: Maybe not Thor so much, born a god, <laughs> born your with your powers. But yeah, yeah. when you're the doctor and you're, you claim you're the best at it, uh, yeah, then there's some there's some issues there. But I always kind of thought it was interesting too, thinking he's so obsessed going forward. Once they you know wheel him out of there and they do a hodgepodge surgery on his Mr. West does a bad surgery on his hands. To repair. I'm like, what how are you going to fix, mangled? <laughs> or essentially obliterated hands. They did their best. If he could put his ego aside, there probably is some sort of a position for him left at the hospital. and oh, In certainly. like a, a supervisory uh, consultation capacity, because he does have the intellect. He just doesn't have the tools anymore. Right. He would be able to put that to use, but because he lets the ego get so much in the way of trying to find a cure and trying to find this, that he ends up pushing everyone aside. His now lavish loft his new is probably $100,000 a month rent loft in New York City is now uh, dilapidated because he's selling everything and anything to find cures to this ailment that he has
0: and this is the battle that continues for the rest of this film it's the tactile versus the intellectual battle on screen uh, intellect is going to have to win out, and it has to, because Strange doesn't have the use of his hands. And even when he has the opportunity to get them back, which I bet you have sound for, but I'm not 100% sure, he decides to stick with the intellectual route. There
1: are other things that can give your life meaning. Like
0: what? Like you? Hmm. What a dick! This is the part where you apologize. This is the part where you leave. Fine. I can't watch you do this to yourself anymore. Not too
1: difficult for you, is it?
0: Yes, it is. It breaks my heart to see you this way. No, don't pity me. I'm not pitying you. Oh, yeah, then what are you doing here? Bringing cheese and wine like old friends going for a picnic? We are not friends, Christine. We were barely lovers. You just
1: love a sob story, don't you? Is that what I am to you now?
0: Poor Stephen Strange, charity
1: case. He finally needs me, another drag of humanity for you to work on. Patch him up and send him back into the world, hearts just humming. You care so much, don't you?
0: Goodbye, Stephen.
1: You don't talk like that to Rachel McAdams, man.
0: <laughs> Tom Hall Gleason's going to come kick your ass. Let's, uh... Let's stop for one second and recognize something that everyone talks about all the time, but mm. we need to recognize it right now. Mm. As great as Downey is as Stark. Yeah. He has a very comparable running mate, and that's Cumberbatch as Strange. Yeah. He is a terrific actor. Well, that's, and why, I'm gonna...
1: that's why it was so refreshing, or not refreshing, but fun to see the two of them share so many scenes in Infinity War because they do play it. They played off each other so well. So well. It was almost like we wanted more of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, uh, Tom Hardy, Jared Leto, Joaquin Phoenix were all kind of names thrown into the cape of levitation <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, to play this character. And I think Joaquin Phoenix was actually pretty close, actually. And they really wanted uh, Cumberbatch. And I'm glad they did. This is a role very much suited for for him. Uh, he looks the part. He acts it really well. My first exposure to the Cumberbatch uh, was Star Trek Into Darkness, which, you know what, Star Trek fans be damned, and your timelines and your sacred uh, love for the original that's fine. I really like Star Trek Into Darkness. I, I really like that reboot uh, series, uh, all three of those films. But that one in particular, which is essentially a redo of sorts of Khan, him playing, spoiler alert, the Khan character. I thought that was the first time I'd ever seen him in like a, a, like a major film. And he, he just has such gravitas when he's on screen. I mean, he has to hold his own with a wide cast in that and definitely does so. I mean,
0: he's one of the most memorable parts of that film for me. That's a fan base that's just insufferable. You're not going to please them. <laughs> We've all have seen the first Star Trek movie. That's one of the worst science fiction films of all time. Oh, Motion Picture? Oh, my. Oh,
1: with Viger
0: Where we just get to watch the Enterprise for 35 minutes as they stand in <laughs> dumbstruck awe wonder looking at this hull of the ship. Oh, The reboot, I know that the Star Trek proper is like, God, blasphemy. Yeah, like Doctor Strange and Surgeons, get over yourself. The reboot is way, can I emphasize that? Way better. Mm -hmm. It's not even close. Yeah, he's great. Khan's the only memorable moment from that first series. They fucking save a whale. Mm -hmm. Get yourself in check. Oh, yeah, I'm part Boy, four. Boy, I'm just firing shots today, aren't I? <laughs> the
1: Voyager. All the fan bases, all the demographics.
0: Surgeons and Star Trek fanboys. You both have already got one today. All right, let's
1: see what we add to the list by the end of the episode. <laughs> okay. But he's really good. I, he's really well cast. He's he's great in this part, and it's great to see him show up a couple more times throughout this universe and see what they do with the characters. So chalk that up on the Marvel casting. They're, they're, they're really good at, at doing that. But now it becomes that obsession piece. So then he is, you know, looking for any answers. And at one of his physical therapy appointments, he's being a dick to the physical therapist. Like,
0: okay, like, bachelor degree. Yeah,
1: all this and that. And he's he's talking about this guy that he worked with that was paralyzed and then one day walked out of here and he was like, yeah, I'll go find the records if it'll shut you up. Uh, and so he goes and finds him and it's uh Benjamin Braddon. What's the character's name again? Pangborn. Yeah, Yeah, Pangborn. Meets him playing ball outside, and the guy's walking, and he's shooting shots, he's playing a full-on pickup game. And he's like, I need the answers. Well, like, what did you do? Because I'm looking for the answers. Look at my hands. <laughs> and he tells him where he went, you know, to to this place, do. And, you know, all what he's going to have to surrender in order to, to kind of give back and kind of letting, you know, you have to let the ego go. So he doesn't say that verbatim, but, like, it's kind of the gist of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at least that's a chance because he's the science route uh, has proved him wrong, uh, just failed him time and time again. So now he's going to go the Western medicine route and say, hey, holistic healing. I'm doing anything at this point. Why not give it a go? So Bob Seger's Catman dude gets, so I'm just kidding.
0: B-side of I don't like beautiful that. loser. I don't like Bob Seger, man. I'll just tell At you all, me, really? At all,
1: yeah. I can't. That's, a, that's one that doesn't do it for me.
0: Bob Seger, the Star Trek fan base. Yep.
1: Chuck another one up.
0: Surgeons, what's next?
1: Yep. Till the swim? No, no. So he. So we. We get to the thing, and again, another thing that Marvel's really good at is establishing these other worlds. So whether it's you know micro worlds and Ant Man or the cosmic and Guardians, here we're we're kind of jokingly Nepal Shambhal, like all this like ancient kind of like ethereal uh, uh, Eastern medicine. Western medicine, and it's just, everyone's in cloaks. Everyone's of a different time here at this place, and we're introduced to, I always knew him as Baron Mordo, but I think he's just Mordo in this. I think he has a different first name. I knew him as Baron Mordo as well. Yeah, because he had like a capish of, sort. he kind of looked like Iron Fist a little bit. Yeah. Chihwetel uh, Ejiofor, kind of like another student. This one thing I really like about these scenes here is it's almost like a, school it's like a its own sanctum santorum sorcerer school that they're going to here to learn the practice of the mystic arts and he just wants to get his hands better and then here he learns all the secrets of the in-between the multiverse the ethereal plane the astral plane
0: like this is like he, he learns a lot more than he ever thought was possible I have two things I want to bring up, but the first is a question for you, and I asked you mid-viewing what you thought. Okay. I know how much you love Batman, mm-hmm. and I know that of the three, Batman Begins is probably your least favorite of the three, but did you... I, but that's still a really solid film. Yeah. It's, that's like saying, you know, what kind of bourbon do you like? B- Bibb and Tucker, Balcones, or Kalmut Farms? Yeah, like, that's... It, yeah. It's, it's there's still, no loser there. That's
1: still a pretty good movie.
0: <laughs> right. It, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, that's my favorite of the three, but... Yeah because it is similar to watching young Batman train with Raza al did you like this or was it too on the nose? Like how do you, did you see the similarities and what is your overall affinity for the way we're seeing him train at, um, I don't think
1: on initial commentage? Yeah. I don't think on initial viewings that I, I saw the similarities, uh, but I you know I think they differentiated enough because they're playing with you know a different time space. Uh, you know Ra's al Ghul, Rachel Ghul. I don't want to upset the Batman fans. <laughs> it's pronounced two different
0: ways sometimes. Okay, I didn't uh, know that. See, now I just got put on blast too. Okay, <laughs> it's four today.
1: Uh. It's, it's very, uh, that one's very, like, mental, like, it's, like, you know, trying to become one with the shadows, and this one's, you know, kind of, like, letting go of, like, all kind of inhibitions, and I think this one's more letting go of the ego is Strange's motto here, mm-hmm. but I think it's different enough here where it's, like, they don't become the bad guy, you know what I mean? Like, the bad guy's kind of a rogue guy. we'll talk about
0: him later, but, no, I like this, I like this kind of little school, this Miyagi-Do of the ethereal plane. There's even a bit of a reversal built into the ancient one in Ra Ghoul as mm-hmm. well in that. Okay, second part, second question or okay. point I'd like to make. You mentioned the three that came to my mind exactly. Okay. okay? It's this mystical realm mm-hmm. or the astral plane from Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. It is the quantum realm and Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. And it is the intergalactic travels of guardians. Yeah. Those are three really important worlds that Marvel developed, and I think all three of them are real effective with yeah. B-list properties. Here's my question for you.
1: Well, can, yeah, good.
0: Did you want to comment, and then I'll ask you the questions? You no, you ask
1: the question, then I'll say my comment.
0: Did Feige choose to do that because of the lack of interest from Marvel fanboy proper? There was an insulated effect against the criticisms that might be levied or did they just get lucky three times in a row?
1: Oh, I don't think it's been luck. I think it's been very well thoroughly planned out and I think that's why he is such a... I'm going to use the word... I'm going to piss off the Feige fan voice now. I think he's a bit of a tyrant at Marvel Studios. I find him, unless you are on the same page with Mr. Feige, a hard person to work with because everything is so well structured and planned out. So unless you hit the beats... Uh, I think you'll run into issues, uh, especially when you try to get a little experimental, maybe with some things uh, in telling your story. Uh, I think he did it uh, this way through those film properties that you mentioned because I think the the grand plan at this point now was we've already teased out Thanos, we're building to that. So in order for a big audience to be comfortable with a cosmic threat, like we got to start establishing like these worlds. So we're not throwing these large audiences into it at the last second. Like we need to get them comfortable with it ahead of time. And I think that's what those three films, you rattle off the three I, and even put Thor in there too, with the Asgard world, the, the Imbi. what do you, what do you call that world? The, yeah. The realm world, the nine realms, you know, but can I say one thing? There of course. Was, yeah. It was my comment was yeah. as great as they are at establishing those I. S- they're not my favorite. My favorite is still the real world because the real world to me has, like, the real consequences. You know what I mean? When we start playing around with the ethereal and the quantum and then the cosmic, and maybe the cosmic still has rules, it's the rules aspect. You know what I mean? Like, we can play fast and loose with how things exist and the the consequence. And boy, shit, are we just, like, living that weekly on Loki right now. You know what I mean? Mm, boy. So, I think it's the real world. It's the world of Stark, Cap. Spider-Man that I, I still really gravitate towards because, well, that's the
0: world we live in, you know what I mean? You know, I exactly know what you mean. The physics that we adhere to on a daily basis help keep what is a pretty outlandish property, that's Marvel structures incorporated, grounded. Um, The quantum realm for me was the one that seemed to be the least interesting. But what I do want to acknowledge is as much as I didn't really give a damn about Mm Ant-Man, because I just think he's lame, and I felt I've seen the shrunken hero so many times it was pretty exhausted for something that I had a minimalistic interest in to begin with. The quantum realm really did develop another world in Marvel that gave them, as you like to say, a bigger sandbox to play in. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing going forward. This is a big moment for... Yeah, but then the
1: dog peed in
0: the sandbox in Endgame. Don't disagree with you (laughs) at all.
1: What's that wet spot over there? (laughs) Yeah,
0: don't eat that yellow snow either. As there have been some inclinations or hints that the multiverse is going to play a large part going forward. And this movie certainly preps that opportunity... Is the, and I'm not asking for a question or an answer. I'm just posing a theory. Is the multiverse phenomenon just allowing Dr. Strange, who is going to be a key component going forward, relevance? So are we just saying that to make it relevant the way Feige has done multiple times? Like this is the most important Marvel tv episode ever see loki version episode three season one which was hot garbage <laughs> to be cut in about an hour and 10 minutes from now yes or are we really going to see it i hope it's feige just running his mouth off because if we have six billion marvel universes there's no consequence to anything well, there's always another cap um, there's always another iron man yeah. Oh, and that's frustrating. Oh, there's
1: eight caps, remember?
0: Uh, and that's just in this this plane alone.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about that because I wrote a little note there while we we're watching the film because I did forget that this probably is the first mention of the multiverse existing in this universe, which is in this film. Tilda Swinton says it in her expository dump on, you know, the rules of the planes and
0: everything. And it's what is the, it's what they use to get their energy and their (laughs) power from for their magic. That's weird. Go ahead. Yeah, let me kind of answer your question. I think it's extraordinarily problematic
1: and because not only is it going to be the Spider-Man film coming out this year, but Doctor Strange in the multiverse of it's in the title, Ant-Man Quantum, because he got another one there. Uh, We're seeing it in Loki. Like we're seeing so many of these properties play with that multiverse effect and I just can't keep up. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, and I don't know how they expect just the average Joe to keep up <laughs> because <laughs> I got the kind of the geek comic hat that I'm wearing and I'm, I'm struggling a little bit to kind of like, well, like, and I think the problem is I don't think they've established a good set of rules with, with this. You know what I mean? Uh, I blame Endgame a lot for that. I blame them when they just write off time travel as like, oh, it doesn't work that way. It works this way because we say so, because we need the movie to work it this way. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, can I back up your point with something? Mm -hmm. I read religiously comics for a long time, and what ultimately ended up being the reason that I stopped, it wasn't finances, it was saturation, not only with crossover event after crossover event, but storage. There's that part of me that just can't throw away amazing Spider-Man 287 for the reason that I just can't throw away a baseball card that I have from
1: 1988.
0: Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem right. At some point I just ran out of storage space and it just got to be too much. So I just went cold Turkey. Oh, I thought you were talking about like brain storage space. <laughs> well, do you get into the second point, man, you've done this to me like three times already. Today. Yeah. The other problem was once we started doing multi-crossover events, Mm -hmm. and we had Asgardians rolling with Guardians, and this universe's um, hero was this universe's bad guy, and DC suffered from this a little bit too with the uh, anti-monitor and all that Flashpoint bullshit. Oh, let's
1: not talk about that story in that movie again. (laughs)
0: you run into a situation where it just becomes too much to keep up with. And you can't even enjoy the film because there are so many Easter eggs or references to prior or subsequent works that you can't keep up with it all. And so if I just want to read the Avengers and we're in a crossover event, now I have to read the Avengers and I have to read Thor and I have to read, uh,
1: ultimate fantastic Four, (laughs) whatever.
0: And that that's the event you just mentioned it, that ultimate meeting the Marvel Universe proper is where I said, I just... And they destroyed the entire Marvel world. Well,
1: I'll tell you this, And that was it. I'll tell you, it gets so convoluted and so just derived with bullshit that they back themselves into a corner and then what they end up doing is like well we're rebooting everything new, yeah. fi- new 52 yep
0: exactly <laughs> it's such
1: a mess we're gonna start over and then they just do it again you know what i mean so, a new number
0: one spider-man volume seven number one and, and, and just then
1: like, oh fuck another you know, origin stories again we're just re-establishing the world because it got so screwed up like i just hope they don't do that with the movies but oh i kind of feel like they are a little bit like the story itself post end game and I'm glad some of those guys got out of there <laughs> while they could because it's what we've seen prior, and it's only been TV. Let's see what Black Widow offers us. Probably not a lot uh, going forward. Mm-hmm. Maybe a Shang-Chi. Mm. To, to me, to write down what's happening in this timeline right now, I don't even know if I could do it. Like It's it's so all over the place.
0: Where things are currently? Yeah. Well, when you add what happened in Loki this weekend or oh, this yeah. week we'll too. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, no, I think it's a good case, Jesse.
1: But – uh One thing I really like in this film, too, I kind of like the strange learning his powers and kind of trying to figure things out. Mastery of the sling ring is essential to the mystic arts. They allow us to travel throughout the multiverse.
0: All you need to do is focus,
1: visualize, see the destination in your mind. Look beyond the world in front of you. Imagine every detail. Clearer the
0: picture, quicker and easier. The gateway will
1: come. You get the Doctor Strange circles. Those of you that, that have Apple Watches, when you hit your move and stand goals a day, uh, you'll get a little Doctor Strange circle. Is <laughs> what it looks
0: like. Circadian rhythm on <laughs> your Apple Watch. It
1: sure is, yep. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. But I love this test that Tilda this I'm not even going to call it the ancient one, it's Tilda one. Uh, gives him by taking him into the planet. Like, look, you can't make your own little Dr. Strange circle. I'll go force you to do it because you have to let go. You have to surrender. You have to release. Let that fear in. So that part, okay, now thinking about it, that is a little Batman begins. <laughs> he, like You have to be, become the fear. Let it in to be scared to accomplish the deed.
0: Uh, yeah, I kept waiting for him to come back through the hole with a blue flower. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I love the Everest test. So here he is.
1: 28,000, the cruising altitude of a 747 where air is so thin, you literally just choke to death. And he's got to figure it out. It's trial by fire now. Now, I don't think they're going to let him die. I think Mordo is ready to go in there, but she's just like, let him be patient. If he can put that part away, he can figure this out. He has the intellect piece. He needs to put to bed that.
0: And then once that happens, then he'll have the perfect marriage of how this is supposed to work. And he does it. That's that struggle, right? The Mm -hmm. tactile versus the intellectual. And in this case, the intellectual needs to take a backseat to the tactile. Yeah. I do want to bring something up, though. In the sling ring sound clip you played, (laughs) they said that, whoever was speaking there, claims that it was the key to the multiverse. Mordo. Yeah. He doesn't use it anywhere except on Earth, does he? Yeah. Does it really offer you a key to the multiverse because if you have to imagine it. Yeah, yeah, I think you have to project it. Yeah, you have to know where you're going. How do you know what the hell it is if you've never been there? Exactly, yeah. So that's a problem, and they should have just said it. it, it, I think that's, this is so nickel and dimey Saying that it's the multiverse is kind of a shameful way to reintroduce that concept again instead of just allowing it to be a portal and leave it at that. Do you think, Mordo, you fool bad
1: dialogue you loser mordo fans out there uh, chuck another one up for today's episode It's five uh the eye of agamotto mm. i think they do a good job of establishing this and then it's not until the final sequence where you're like oh yeah it's an infinity stone because i think in the lead-up to this you and i were just like man when are these stones gonna show up we're, we're like counting them on our fingers and we're like okay this infinity war is happening in two years and we got like four stones left to go like where are they showing up and in this one they i think they establish one and i love how they use it in infinity war 2 by the way
0: i was going to ask you is this the third stone introduced this is this predates black panther doesn't it? No, i think this is the fourth
1: stone so this is well there's no stones in black panther so this would be the tesseract the so that one uh well i guess we've seen uh, yeah the mind stone vision stone the, the ether Uh, The Power Stone. And then uh, the purple one in Guardian. So this is actually number five. So we're just waiting for the last one at this point. Which is which one? The Soul Stone. And we don't even get that in until Infinity War. Vormir. Because he's already found it. Yep. Okay. Okay. So this was kind of what we had been waiting. We'd been like, when are they showing up? Like what films are they going to show up in and how much are they going to be involved in the plot? And thankfully in this one, it's not such a huge element. It's rather a source of power. Mm -hmm. And I like that too, how he figures out how to manipulate time and with the apple and how he's figuring out. He's going to the advanced section of the textbooks uh, that Wong has told. I love Wong. Wong. Wong's one of my favorite characters. I think he's got good comedic timing. The for, mystic version of Drax. Yes, he uh, he goes in there is able to figure out because he has the intellect and is able to kind of put put this together. But then he brings about the villain. So, man, I don't want to poo poo on this too much because I do know you really really like you can this, go like, ahead like this film. I don't know how much the villain aspect works in this particular movie for me. You already talked about the praise of Mad Mickelson, and I want to give some more because. The guy's really good at it. He just looks evil. He plays it well. I, I love his, it's doctor, straight. Okay, Mr. Doctor, or like just Mr. Like he has kind of like he, it. Like everything goes over his head too. Mm-hmm. But his motivations, I guess, for kind of his nefarious of evil is he was a neglected student and then he wants the page. He He believes that the ancient one, correct me if I'm wrong, help me figure out his motivation here. Uh, believes the Ancient One's holding back, and she has the source of, like, the true unlimited power. So I'm going to steal the pages, I'm going to turn us evil, and then I'm going to bring forth the real ruler, which is Dormammu, later. Kind of acting as, like, a proxy villain to, like, the end of the big thing. So uh, it's just, it feels pretty, it's pretty, I don't want to say forgettable, but kind of thin for me with... But I think that's also the challenge with Doctor Strange, is finding an antagonist that can you stand toe-to-toe with you with these powers. We'll save Dormammu for the end, but let's just talk about him. I mean, uh, I think the performance is good. I think the villain's a little weak for my liking in these films, which is a problem we've established in these films, Marvel films, many times before.
0: I guess if you don't buy into the pursuit that Cusilius is seeking life everlasting, then it is pretty thin. I think the part that might salvage that a bit for me, and I think those, again, those are fair criticisms, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Again, pretty thin villains until we get to Thanos. Yeah. Is he's recognized in the ancient one a juxtaposition of what's viewed as good through the power of the dark dimension mm-hmm. versus his. Perceived evil in trying to master the same power. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets back to what we see as strange's inner conflict, which would then be ego.
1: I guess I, I guess I could see that, too. I guess they just never really show that, you know what I mean? This perception of evil, of harnessing the evil power, you, you know what I mean? So,
0: yeah, in and in a movie that's going to show a villain with a hero that we barely know anything about that's going to be dead in 90 minutes, that's fair also to say, is that too much work? And the answer is,
1: it could be yes. Yeah, you he got to establish quite a bit.
0: Because if you use um, the chitari mm-hmm. the way... Thanos essentially uses them and Loki and Loki proxy in that early part of the Avengers. I think the first half of the Avengers stuff. Then, I think you have the opportunity to do the same thing with Dormammu mm-hmm. and Cassilius, or if that I think that's how you say his name, Cassilius. We don't get Dormammu other than a couple brief glimpses Mm -hmm. until the final, I don't know what, 15, 10, 15 minutes of the film. Yeah. So thin is fair, very fair. And I think what you might hope or what the production team hoped would buy that off would be the aesthetic, the inception. It's sometimes like aesthetic Mm -hmm. of what you were watching so that you wouldn't jump too deep into what exactly is this guy's after. We'll save that for, you know, cinephiles on podcasts and such, mm-hmm. but I do think your criticism is fair and levied justly.
1: I don't think it's not just this film either. I mean, it's it's Ant Man, it's Thor: The Dark World. Well, he's the worst. Uh, he's at the very bottom. But it's different. It was. I, I guess I was a little wrong. really. Is that your least favorite Marvel
0: villain, the Dark Elves? What's
1: my least favorite Marvel. Proper this universe's movie. I'm like that
0: thing's trash. That beats <laughs> um Extremis. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. To the as awful as that statement. time. As awful as that time was.
1: I've never I've seen Thor the Dark World, I think, three times, and it's been so painful each each three. Like I just I can't with that one. It's just I just named Malakeith. The the evil elf, uh, Christopher Eccleston, one of the Doctor Who doctors. Um it's, it's, I guess I was just a little refreshed last week. I mean, and you know, Iron Man has the benefit, too, of being not tied to a grander story at the very beginning. But, like, Obadiah Staines was, I just want control of this company, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he said it like the dude. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just want, and I need to get Stark out of the way because I want to be the one who makes the weapons. I want the money. So to kind of go from that to this, whereas like this kind of like weird kind of gray area of, what kind? How much you want unlimited life? You want the power? You want the one who's going to give you the power? It's just it's kind of muddled for me, but it doesn't kill Mickelson because I love that guy. That guy's a terrific villain. we're gonna we're gonna talk about Casino Royale here in the next few months, and
0: he's incredible in that. Does the Mickelson casilius character find a bit more gravity if there's a line in there that says? I want life eternal because the mysteries of the universe are so vast. I want to uncover them all. Thus, I need more time to do it. Versus this mortal coil that I'm shelled in. Well, is this? Does that is, fix it? Uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I'm just sour mashing it for you.
1: No, that's pretty good. And maybe it just it's a, another scene that's shown because is is has he not seen Dormammu and is trying to bring him? Because like a scene between the two of them would have probably done wonders for me.
0: Well, shit! If his eyes turn into Dormammu, like alters i can't imagine he hasn't seen him that, that he hasn't that's a miss yeah just or sort of like miss a,
1: something like hey i'm gonna bring you to earth
0: just i need to get the pages to do so like you know what i mean like a bargaining chip so when him and his little cult group conduct the seance that changes their facial structure to that do you want a dormammu reference I do. in that symbol because he does seem like the minion of ah uh, yeah of
1: Dormammu like like I said the proxy villain he's the villain working for Absolutely. A, the bigger bad okay and Dormammu's the per- villain I know like if anyone I tied to doctor strange it's that guy I just hoped also and we'll get to him at the end. I just hope they didn't waste Dormammu in this movie. You know what I mean? Because that, yeah, I think he's.
0: Oh no! I, I I think I don't think he's wasted. Okay,
1: it. I hope not because not only just a big bad for Strange, but like that could be just a formidable threat for like the new Avengers team going forward. I mean, that guy's not to be trifled with. Like I don't want to say like Galactus level because he's re- kind of ridiculous, and I really hope they don't do him as a villain. Oh, I
0: promise you, with the Fantastic Four that's coming. Ugh. <sighs> It has to.
1: Dormammu is enough to kind of make because even in his planet-looking form, but he has like a human element too, where he's like it's like as like tall as you, and can pose a threat
0: there with all his hellish imagery, like hellfire. Fanboy dork question for you. Okay. Three horses in this race. Who wins? You can put your money on Dormammu. Okay. You can put it on Ego. Okay. You can put it on Galactus. <sighs> Who's your winner there? You Galactus. can't just vote for ego because you love Kurt Russell either. I know.
1: It's the Kurt Russell charm. Galactus <laughs> eats planets, so that's the problem. That's so
0: grandiose. Does Dormammu have the ability to expand to a larger form than Galactus and envelop him, however? Yeah, he could, and then he can take him down to hell, and then it's
1: his ballpark there. Maybe I'll give it to Dormammu. I, so I just, I don't know. Galactus, to me, is just so uninteresting because he is so big. Big. And just expansive. <laughs> right. Like, yes. uh, what's the scene look like when they fight him? It's like, honey, I blew up the kid with the Avengers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, you're probably right. We probably will get to that, but I'm I'm not ready for that yet. Okay. Uh, so Strange has to protect, you know, like, Casillas comes in, brings just chaos to this world, and we get a nice fisty cuffs uh, here in the Sanctum Sanctorum, the New York division, and we find out there's three, Hong Kong, New York, and London, And the New York guy just gets killed right away. So Strange has to, like, learn really quickly what to do. And I think, you know, he's able to really put some stuff together. The cape certainly helps him out. But we finally see him come into his own and uh, get a nice kind of, you know, uh, a playing field. I really like that scene where he's throwing him into, like, the... It's like those window portals, like the bay window portals, and he puts them in. And he just turns the dial, and it closes that window. Stuck in the Gobi Desert, exactly. Yeah, how are you going to get back? Uh, so I thought I thought that was per- pretty good, but then yeah, he's dealt the crucial blow here. And what, do you think they do you think they do enough here with this piece?
0: Just a little. <laughs> Please be careful with the needle. What am I seeing? My astral body. Are you dead? No, Christine, but I am dying. Right. Right. Yeah. All right.
1: Okay. I love this astral plane surgery sequence, which is actually... So to talk about Scott Derrickson a little bit. So he directed exorcism of Emily Rose deliver us from evil has a definitive background in the horror genre. So he seems, you know, perfect to kind of handle those strangeness and weirdness of what this offers. Uh, he's a big Dr. Strange fan too, which is, which is weird. I mean, who's a fan of that guy prior to like, you know, seeing him on screen. So (laughs) that's a buy in already. So, Mm -hmm. but he had to lobby and pitch so hard to get into the director's chair for this film And he actually, you know, produced some animatics and storyboards, his own art to help Feige pitch, I'm the guy to do this. They wanted, I mean, there's that points in the laboring stories of this to production. Uh, Wes Craven was attached at one point in 1994, Del Toro in 07. And this is when Paramount owned the rights. When you remember when Avi Arad sold them all to everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's when they were, so it took them forever to get this to where it was here, but he lobbied really hard to be the director to into him for that. I mean, that's no easy feat when everyone's telling, you no, but you say you're the right guy for it. He, um, this was one of the scenes he actually pitched though. Uh, and then it made it into his final version of the, of the screenplay, which was this astral plane surgery. I guess what my question was, uh, this whole, uh, not every movie needs a love story element to it, but do do they do enough with the Christine character for you? And, I think up until this point, I, I would want to say yes, but after these sequences, especially when they bring the ancient
0: one in for gruesome surgery, <laughs> she kind of disappeared, right? I didn't miss a scene, did I? No, she disappears. You're right. After the ancient one passes on, she's out of the film. And like, um, like I
1: said, not everyone film needs it, but did they do enough to, I think, establish where they are in this watch element that I think is a nice touch?
0: If that Nicodemus West is his rival in the mortal plane in comics, then I think there's a bit more playability forward. If Nicodemus has to be the one to save him, not only do you introduce Nicodemus into this whole astral thing, which then might present opportunities as Strange's rival mm-hmm. to embrace the dark side of the mystic arts and thus become a formidable foe. Sure. And that could even be with Christine mm-hmm. next to him. Cause she just couldn't pull it off. Yeah. So I guess my short answer is yes, it's, a bit of a missed opportunity, but let me give it back to you. Do you like that astral projection fight? Cuz I think that's pretty cool.
1: It got a little silly for me, just it felt like ghosts fighting. Yeah, <laughs> a no. little bit. Uh but I like the the concept of it. I like how not only can you exist within this real world, but you can exist in these middle grounds. And there's still, you know, consequences that you know can happen in there. I think visually it looks silly. I think conceptually
0: I'm on board. What it really <laughs> it made me think of in Ant Man was the fight on the train.
1: Oh yeah, that's that's a good scene. Yeah. So
0: here's Yellow Jacket and Ant Man just throwing haymaker after haymaker at each other, and because they're so small, the totality of that is the little toy train falls off its tracks. Okay. Same thing here. These guys are throwing each other through walls and such, and what happens is the device that you store the tools in—that's resting on Strange's chest—gives yeah. rattled. Yeah. So, uh, yes. But I thought the um, yeah, other—that's what made me think of like ghosts fighting, sure. like
1: in just like this ghostly world. Like that picture frame move is because a guy got thrown into the wall over there. Yeah. All right, let's get to get to this. I'm very curious. I, I literally came up with the question while we were watching. I thought about you instantly uh okay so after he's repaired and they kind of you know touch up their relationship and she's like oh this is strange what are you wearing what's this dr strange circle here mm-hmm. he goes back to the new york sanctum on Bleecker street there and cassillis is ready to just like rain hell on this thing like he's just like like no no more mr nice sorcerer and we get kind of this crazy uh dreamscape within the diamond world. What do they call it? The glass or the mirror world?
0: Mirror world. Mirror dimension. The mirror
1: dimension, yeah. And everything's turning on its head and very Inception-like. Everything's folding in on itself and the fractaling of all the buildings and everything. Mm -hmm. Matt, I got to know. I know where you're going. (laughs) I thought about you a lot. One of your arguments, uh, just in terms of just action pieces, a lot has been... You know, you, you have into a, the,
0: the end of the spider verse, aren't you? Yeah, you
1: have a problem when you just there's no sense of gravity. Well, literally, <laughs> no sense of gravity here. And they're kind of bouncing on scaffoldings and everything's folding into itself. And I think visually looks mm-hmm. incredible. Uh mentally, a little difficult to kind of keep track of what's going on here. Uh, how does that how does that work for you?
0: Okay, yes, you're absolutely right. It's troubling. Mm-hmm. There's a throwaway line that I think buys it off a little bit, and that is that Casilius has learned how to take the mirror dimension and essentially make it the real world that we live in. If you do that, however, though, and you're able to fold and bend things in what otherwise was the mirror dimension where you could do that without consequence to the collateral pieces in society— yeah then you have to have the collateral damage that falls here. Mm-hmm. If you take two buildings and turn them perpendicular to what we recognize as gravity and can run on them any significant way you see fit at the time, the buildings will tumble. So the mistake they make on this, in my opinion, is by not allowing the fight to just happen in the mirror dimension. Yeah. Now, I know it's going to play out to the attack on the Sanctorum in Hong Kong here in a little while, but maybe the choice then isn't to fold and fold and bend and staircase and fractal and stained glass window shattering affect everything. Just keep it as a mystical fight on the streets where you're taking bricks, and not to get too Superman and General Zodi on this either, but go ahead and fight with the physics and the gravity that we recognize in the physical mortal plane that we live in.
1: Isn't that they what they do in Infinity War uh, yeah. with Ebony Ma and black uh yes obsidian coal actually is on the streets and it is that exactly they use the environment you're right so yes you're right it does it, yeah because I, I thought about you because they're like literally jumping on these like like scaffoldings and jumping from one and then it's another platform and then it, the platforms disappear and then it's another the
0: windowsill <laughs> becomes a staircase and it turns into a flowered um stone yeah platform I think it's it, cool looking. Oh, it's,
1: it looks amazing. I think the conceit is, you know, it's the world that that is being established. This in between ethereal multiverse world, and I'm okay with that. But it is a little difficult to kind of keep track on, like where everyone, the 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 gravity of it all. Like, where's the characters? Where's the standard space?
0: Yeah, it's fair. But
1: uh, Tilda Swinton comes and reveals all, not only and then and then only to be dropped on on her head, practically pretty gruesome. That's the part that messed me up the most. It's just a normal New York day, though, right? Yeah, uh, sherpas dropping from the sky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's all oh, that. Sorry, into- New
1: York listeners. I know we talked about you know homeless people biting you. You're more likely to get bit by a homeless person in New York than a shark in the ocean. So
0: interesting. <laughs>
1: Take that as you will.
0: <laughs> um, gravity seems to make her fall to the earth. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't really affected anybody else unless they're great trapeze-like artists and structures being built in the sky as they move. So, again, not for the podcast world on critical analysis and breakdown. I get it. Oh, yeah. But aesthetically, mm-hmm. it's really cool looking. You know, yeah, it is. And you can feel the weight in the Ancient One when she falls too. Like she <laughs> hits the ground hard and you oh, feel yeah, it. I
1: thought, that, I thought that, that was all pretty well done. Yeah.
0: What uh,
1: I guess I forgot this, so then they send her for gruesome surgery repairs, and she's all fucked. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they have a nice conversation on the balcony, of how she's always seen this moment and this, and I've always been kind of lyric. Is she dead?
0: She done uh, the final moment. She's probably leaving the mortal plane, and when you leave the mortal plane, I think your astral form has to go with you. So this is the very this is the scene in the Western movie that's the. Uh, forever dying. This is that moment. Uh, But yes, she's dead.
1: Okay. Okay. Is she going to show up in the next, in anywhere down the line? You think she's showing up in the sequel to this thing?
0: Yeah. She's good. We're playing pretty fast and loose with reality and time. So why not? Yeah. I actually don't think in the doctor strange world that that is too far fetched. Again, it goes back to the same problem we've talked about a lot and that's then no one's death really has any significance because they can come back. But that happened with Wong. He literally pulls him off an impaled spear through his heart and Wong's good to go and is for the next three films. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's likely she comes back and she's an integral part of the Doctor Strange story. We'll have to
1: see if we're singing a different tune when we see Into the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, if she show, if she should, I'm sure she might make an appearance, but like there's up. a
0: multiverse, isn't there ancient ones and other dimensions or here's the thing that's, I wonder about that now. Okay. If they've mastered the multiverse, then are they sovereign to the multiple characters that would appear in the multiverse and they are then only singular? Man, Think I, about it. I almost had, I almost had a break. Yeah. Those type of
1: questions just, like, make my, like, head spin about, like, you
0: know, that's the rule problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would make sense, though, right? If they've mastered it and they can see... You're not wrong. Yeah. Then it alludes to almost a godlike presence where they control all of it. And you can't have... If you have... A sanctum sanctorum in each of the multiverses, then I guess per the definition of multiverse, it fits. But if they've mastered that, then it would stand to reason the other sanctorums in the other multiverse would have also come to some level of mastery. And then everyone is just bending time and space. And please, Marvel, please.
1: Bring that in.
0: You have to bring that back. There has to be someone and it better not be the effing Eternals either. I don't know why all of a sudden I'm censoring my language. It's been so <laughs> G-rated all day, right? It better not be the Eternals. Might be. I don't know what their role is in this
1: thing, but that's an episode for a different day.
0: So, But you see where I'm going with that? I do. It's
1: murky. Yeah. Murky water. Let's get to this finale, the defense of the Hong Kong uh, Santorum and uh, Casillas comes, he's ready to rain down hell. Again, you know what I mean? Like, like his thing, he's, he just shows up at these places. Like he's just trying to get evil. Like, what does he want from them? Does he just want to destroy it?
0: If he's able to destroy all of the sanctorms, then that removes the defense shield, and it allows Dormammu to come and possess Earth and move it into his collection of other planets. Okay,
1: see, this is why I need that scene with him and Dormammu saying, hey, I can come, but you got to go do me this first. Yeah. I can't come until you do this.
0: Yeah, unless you're able to get that from the first speech that the ancient one gives Stephen upon his first admittance into Carmitage. Yeah. Which I think is where that happens. And they talk about the sanctuaries and the shield that yeah. it builds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even that is A plus B equals C. It's yeah. not even, oh, that's just direct reference. Well, that part's clear to me. So I, I
1: just want to know is Casillas acting like a crazy person or is he acting on the benef- by some benefactor?
0: And I don't think we're ever given an answer to that. For the thin villain, yeah, I don't know either. For the thin villain that you have given the mantle to, Cacillus, is he wrong, though? In the ancient one's deception? In his, okay, so we talked about Thanos' goal, but execution being the problem. Mm -hmm. Can we give the same benefit of the doubt? I'm trying to just beef up this villain for you here. (laughs) Yeah, To Cacillus here? I don't think I
1: can because I think we're missing scenes that could make that happen. Something the confrontation aspect between him and the ancient one. Like, I want to see those scenes where he's getting kicked out of school
0: or even post kicked out. And it could happen in that bullshit, no gravity, no physics structure scene you were talking about in the air. It could happen there too.
1: Yeah, I want to see the. It's it's almost like we're seeing everything like in. What's the term? In media rest? Like, in the middle of yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And not seeing the scenes that put all this into motion. So you'd uh, rather
0: have a Deuce es Machina instead,
1: yeah? I think so, yeah. I think that would make... it just make him stand out a little bit better.
0: Mm-hmm. But let's
1: talk about the... Because we do get Dormammu here, and we get a nice another battle of time, and Strange is very well using the Eye of Agamotto at this point uh, to kind of undo and save people, and I think that was the first time I was like, "Uh uh-oh, that thing's going to be problems later. (laughs) They can just undo, like, whatever thing. But uh, here, I think it it visually looks really cool. And I I don't have any problems with the visuals. It's a very beautiful-looking movie. Mm -hmm. Looks great. So when he finally goes up into, like, the cosmic cloud here uh, to kind of do bargaining with Dormammu, I think this works pretty well.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Dormammu! I've come to bargain! You've come to die. Your world is now, my What is this? The illusion? No, this is real. Uh. Dormammu? I've come to bargain. What is happening? Dormamu's This is like, you gave Caesilius powers from your dimension. I brought a little power from mine. This is time. Endless looped time. <laughs> Dormamu's like, what the shit is happening right now? You're like spinning me out, dude. Uh. No, I love this kind of bargaining chip. It's like, I'm just going to like literally annoy you to death until you give me what I want. And I'll make a bargaining chip with you, and it's for Casillas, and get these people out of here, and we'll kind of just make a deal here. I and mean, You don't have to deal with my annoying ass anymore. I don't like—sorry, Matt. I'm, I, I'm, I apologize up front. Don't mean to do this, but— I like, I love the inclusion of Dormammu here, and he looks formidable. I just don't like, and then it's not his, it's not this film's fault, but it's the prior films, and this must be addressed that these end sequences always kind of end with this cosmic cloud, these sky beams, like Guardians had a sky beam, uh, egos of eating planet. Uh, it's all this stuff coming in from the sky to like devour a city or devour the world, and
0: that's the Chitauri in Avengers too.
1: Yeah, it's that. It, like, it gets so big, and for something that could just still be small and intimate, and I guess that's why last week it worked so well. I mean, it's just Jeff Bridges in a suit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're not trying to open up a portal to like swallow up the Earth. I mean, that's these these end sequences just get so elaborate sometimes with their villains, but. I like to picture them on just, like, on the, in, and they're in the in-between, but I love the bargaining piece. You know what I mean? It's just something, like, of course they could get into a fisticuffs, like, of whatever that would look, probably look pretty cool. But for strangers, like, and this is what they did a, such a good job of showing, like, just how annoying he is, just, like, in his delivery of facts and stuff. Like, he's literally going to annoy this guy to death. I got time. I could do this the rest of my life
0: as long as it gives people on Earth They'll, they'll they'll survive. What I really like about this in this film is it's the final transference mm-hmm. from the tactile to the intellectual. Yep. Uh, he's not going to be able to punch Dormammu into submission. He's going to have to outthink him. And with the Eye of Agamotto, a.k.a. the Time Stone, I'm going to say something that's crazy. This mm-hmm. might be the most effective use of time and the manipulation of time in Marvel to date period. Oh, yeah. So he traps... Well,
1: it's it's so simple
0: here. So simple. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you don't have to get out of it because he's just stuck in a loop where Dormammu isn't getting out of it. And he can kill mm-hmm. Doctor Strange henceforth forevermore, yeah. but he's stuck there with him. Yeah. So the only way out is let me go. And if you let me go, then you let the earth go and you give up your reign or the attempt to take things over and we win the day.
1: Didn't they kind of do this in this week's episode of Loki too? They did, yeah. And it
0: also sets up what Strange is able to bring to the table in Endgame yeah. and Infinity War, yeah. So, um, and then it also looks beautiful, ripped right out of a Peter Max painting from the nineteen sixties. And I want to bring up one more thing about that. Yeah. Do you find it interesting? And I know it's of an era when it was created. Okay. That the mystical element of Doctor Strange is presented as psychedelic colors. I guess. Yeah. Whoever would have thought that's magic, huh? I mean, if, to me, that's such a strange depiction.
1: <laughs> if you say you're going to get weird with it, I mean, that's uh, like make it colorful. You know what I mean?
0: Get a rainbow and swirl it, and we'll call it psychedelic, and that's magic. It's really what this is. You could either
1: go that route, or you could go the David Lynch route and go surreal with it, and it's mm-hmm. just off-putting.
0: <laughs> so I'm glad they went this way, I guess, because a David Lynch surreal kind of attempt might be what we see with Sam Raimi in the next film, because isn't that the perfect culmination of both psychedelic and a... Lighter version of Lynch. I
1: think we're going to get an interesting... Let's save that for the end because I have big questions to ask you at the end of this episode. So
0: Dormammu has a head that looks like Thanos' chin. Mm-hmm. It's rippled and ridged. I love the purple, dark purple vacuous space that looks hollow but still seems to have a boundary around it as we're appearing. And there's one instance where the camera pulls back and we get kind of the big shot that everybody wanted of the monster in Cloverfield that we never got of Dormammu. Mm-hmm. And he almost has a physical structure that looks like head, neck and shoulders. Yeah, like I want to He s- looks cool.
1: I want to see his yeah, physical shape.
0: <laughs> I don't know what planet strange is standing on. It almost looks like Titan. Oh god. <laughs> Doesn't it? Uh... A little bit. It does. And what's happening is similar to what happens on Titan. I kind of thought it looked a little bit like like a brain,
1: because like Ooh. with those like orbs tied to like sh- tubing and whatnot, did they look like synapses and just like things. Like,
0: well, there's even that orange, um, I don't what do you, moss almost yeah. that vine that crawls across the orifice of the brain towards Strange before uh-huh. he's killed over and over again. That looks like the transmission of energy or learning. Yeah. If it's the brain, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go ahead and go with the brain because it just suits the narrative that I've built for 80 minutes now, then that's the acceptance yep. of the intellectual.
1: Yeah, sure. I'll buy that.
0: Let's go with it. That's it looks amazing. It does. It's a great sequence. And okay. that's and truthfully, how else do you defeat Dormammu other than mm-hmm. out-strategize him? You are not going to punch this guy out. Well,
1: I think that was also a refreshing thing for me, too, because it wasn't a natural, like, when you think end boss fight, it's like yeah, it's a punch out. But here, it's a fight of intellect, and I think that suits Strange well. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I buy him getting into a fisty cuffs with someone. Anyone? Like, yeah, anyone really. Uh, but I do buy this, and this this definitely works for him. So for this finale, as kind of like I've gotten kind of in the weeds with some of the, like the villainous intention aspects of the film, this works pretty well
0: for me. And Strange admits that as he dies. A million times over henceforth in the perpetuity of of eternity. Yeah. It's gonna be painful each time. The ego that fueled Strange this whole time has now taken a back seat to the humanistic elements of I have to protect Earth and my fellow mankind, and we have a real hero birthed right there in that moment. Yeah. I will die a million times over. Yeah. Painfully each time. Yeah, he's finally b- been keep able the to the earth safe. Yeah, he's finally been able to put that piece to bed. So with no glory, because no one knows he's doing it.
1: Exactly, it's in some unbeknownst timeline. It's a nice arc, isn't it? It's pretty good. Yeah, that 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 works for me too. Again, they're good at doing origin stories. They're good at establishing them, making them grow, and then by the film's end, you kind of you're ready to see the next adventure with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the interim, while all this is happening, and we defeat evil and Cassillis, and everyone's been defeated, and Hong Kong's restored, I'm calling him Baron Mordo because that's who he is. He's had a change of heart, man. He's seen the betrayals of the Ancient One. He was like, I can't follow this path anymore. So he's like, I'm going rogue. Like, I can't be a part of this world when I've been... And we don't know a lot about him either. Like, when we hear him early on, he talks about, I've done terrible things. We don't see them. We're just alluded to, like, where did this guy come from? And, like, what's he done in the past? So maybe the sequel can go into some more details. But he's kind of out. It's it's the Wong and dr strange show at this point so where are they what are they going to do now going forward re the santorums and strange has shown himself to be more than adequate to handle the new york uh portion how fitting it's also where he lived too so mm-hmm. his new house is on Bleecker street here mm-hmm. and uh yeah we're gonna we're gonna cut out to it i guess i was just shocked i guess i was shocked if they didn't come back to rachel mcadams and like him going to the hospital to say, thank you for saving or just something. You know what I mean? They don't have to kiss. Like, you don't have, need that in every movie. But after that scene when they bring the ancient one in, they're kind of done with her, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I guess that one just, that one kind of went over my head on the initial viewing. Yeah, they pretty much just finish up with her and that's the end. It's
0: fair. Yeah, you're right. They but don't but in, back.
1: in typical Marvel fashion, though, you got to stay to the end credits because <laughs> you're going to get some teases. Yeah. And uh, the first one, I think, is actually, it's a scene from Thor Ragnarok, so I think maybe Taika Waititi actually made this scene for the film, which was pretty good. It's showing Thor, and they're looking for Odin. Odin's gone missing, and uh, he runs into Strange, which which I think does a lot of good. I think it establishes Strange's ability... Uh, to interact with the bigger Marvel universe in just a tiny fashion. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this is a this is a scene straight out of a comic book panel. Like oh, yeah. you would turn the page in Thor and boom, he's sitting in the Sanctum Santorum talking to Strange and like they would have this interaction. I love when the beer fills back up. Like Thor's like, oh my God, I'm in heaven.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh, so I think that's a nice allusion to not only Ragnarok, a tease at Ragnarok, but a tease to... These characters interacting,
0: coming up here in the near future. Mm -hmm. Two years. Two years away. I don't remember if it's the Banna version or the Norton version of Hulk. I'll help you. But in one of those two, there is a turning of the comic book page feel that is... It's
1: the Banna version.
0: Yeah. I almost wish after Marvel had decided to do post-credit A and post-credit B, that when the final page is... When the final credits rolled before we get to the second post-credit scene... We got that turning of the page. Oh, like a
1: wipe or something? To
0: that post credit scene. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be cool. Yeah. Or you could even do it before any post-credit scene. That was so effective in a movie that had very few things that were effective, the banned version of Hulk. It looked like a comic book. It really did. That
1: was the intent. The angly intent was to go artistic and make it look like from the pages.
0: And I don't even think it's too far removed from what happens with Marvel. You brought it up. This was the first film that had that Marvel comic book role into oh, the yeah, credits. Yeah. Let's go ahead and be all in, guys.
1: This was the first time I realized, I was like, oh man, Marvel's... Hey, Almost. we're here. Check our stuff out. We're big time now. Yeah. Like we like we have a logo that touts all our successes that have come before. Like
0: we've arrived.
1: You've set me up for this, so we got to talk about it. I think compared to last week, where they're barely getting by, there's no script. They're improvising <laughs> every day. They're making it up as they go. Like they like they don't even know if this movie's going to be a hit or not. We're couching Downey Jr. The guy was in rehab five years ago. Yeah. To this point now, where they're well-established, it's a well-oiled machine, and I think, unfortunately, for you know what's to come, I think you see Feige definitely taking, that's why I use that word tyrant a little more heavily, like, now he's in a position of power where he can literally drive the machine, yeah. and how things need to happen, and that's gonna rub some people the wrong way, especially creative directors that like to do their own thing, and... I don't want to defend Feige.
0: Yeah. And I don't want to. No, I'll
1: defend his vision. I mean, the vision's ambitious and it's paid off dividends, but to be so strict that there's no wiggle room. And I think I'll just say it right now. That's why Derrickson bailed on part two was creative differences with management and what he wanted. I'm going to read what he said verbatim because I wrote it down. He said leaving the film was a difficult decision, but he did not want to compromise on a film that was different from what he wanted to make. So that that to me is an interpretation of you need to make it this way. I want to make it this way. I just like let's just let's just split apart. And that happened to Edgar Wright and Ant-Man. I mean, it hasn't happened, it's happened multiple times in this world. So you either get in line
0: or they'll find someone else who can do it. There's a script. Yeah. So How much is it changing? Here's the script. Unless there's a a daily change to the shooting that is not what the script had on the pages. Yeah. How much can you really change after pre-production? I know. Let's talk about just the labor, the idea of labor as a whole for a minute. I don't want I can't believe I'm about to defend the man, but I'm gonna defend the man here for a minute. None of us in our jobs, like our boss, micromanaging us yeah none of us do yeah most of us listening on this podcast right now are also not i'm gonna say it Mm -hmm. diva directors i guess i'm calling out the sixth thing on this podcast Mm -hmm. so when you take somebody like scott derrickson who probably doesn't have the gravitas that like a nolan or maybe a ramey somebody like that might have yeah he's probably gonna get bullied a little bit yeah Is Feige bulletproof in his decision-making process? Absolutely not. Is he Kathleen Kennedy? Also, absolutely (laughs) not. So as this seems to be this big issue on set from time to time, I'm just going to pose the theory that welcome to working for somebody. We're just struggling with the same thing that everyone struggles with all the time. Here is what Feige was able to deliver regardless of the Derricksons and the um, Russo brother, whoever you want to say, Josh Trank, uh, he's, I mean, that's not, but you know what I mean? Yeah. A story that had 24 chapters that was mostly really entertaining and per storytelling, the largest scope of single story carried through multiple films of all time and when other or franchises try the same thing significantly less ambitious let's say five five entries yeah 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 one misstep often derails the whole thing this had several missteps and it still didn't derail the whole thing so we can we well, can yeah. chide and deride him but also Scott Derrickson and some of the people that are upset with the way they go they gave you really great tools and said, I'm going to give you stuff to work with that you're never going to have, but you have to play by these rules. And somewhere in the villainy and assigning of roles in the Marvel screenplay with Protag and Antag, I think the best I can do for Kevin Feige, or maybe the worst I can do for Kevin Feige is give him the role of anti-hero.
1: Yeah. No, you can't take away the accomplishment of what they were able to build. But I will speak out against the man right here because the big problem with when you have a model like that, which sounds like factory sweatshop almost, is everything kind of looks the same. And this film has its own visual palette, but Ant-Man, Guardians, all the stuff, it could have all been made by the same director, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It all is under the guise of a producer, Mm -hmm. not a filmmaker. So... That's my. That's always been my biggest issue with Marvel Studios. Not that they don't make entertaining stuff. I mean, I'll, I'll probably go see Black Widow next week. Well, I have to because <laughs> we're doing it on the show. And I'll probably be very entertained. But none of it other than, like, the monumental story moments, like, it's like the visual palette. You know what I mean? Nothing really sticks out to me. As being, like, defined by, like, a filmmaker. Like, when I tell you, like, the David Lynch, we offhandedly joked about that. Man, you know when you're watching watching a, a Lynch film. And you know when you're watching films by these other filmmakers. And when these directors step into the Marvel, Marvel Studios machine, it all looks the same to me. And that's, that's, that's a bad thing. But it's also, you're entertained, so... Is that a bad thing? And sometimes it's not. You know what I mean? So you kind of have to almost put that to
0: bed in this argument. You brought up such an interesting point. I'd, let's go for just a minute longer on this. Mm-hmm. If we allow a tour, then you get M. Night Shyamalan. We also get Tusk by Fleetwood Mac. I could go on and on with what we want to have happen from the artists that we like. Mm-hmm. And we say we want them to be experimental till they get to be too experimental and it becomes insufferable. I wonder in the Marvel landscape The Happening was an experimental film. Now, I can pick a bunch of other ones that were really good, but I'm yeah, making yeah. a point to pick bad ones purposely here. Sure. I would even take, for example, an auteur version of... Of how we got aliens in the alien franchise. Mm-hmm. And we both hate that. Yeah. You hate it more than me. Yeah. Is the autoredness, if you want to call it that, that allows itself to be present, present, sorry, in the Marvel Universe, in the cinematography? Because if that's the case, and I would argue Doctor Strange although beat-wise follows a consistent model. It does, yeah. It's different looking enough compared to Spider-Man or the Avengers mostly. And that stuff on the brain planet fighting Dormammu isn't Mm -hmm. like anything I saw in any other Marvel movie or the Inception stuff. Yeah. Folding buildings on buildings. Yeah. If that's where Feige says, this is what you get to direct. And let me say one more thing. Yeah. That speaks... To the divaness of directors, because that's celebrating the cinematography and the director of photography and their prowess mm-hmm. and not the control of story yeah. that they want. So, in my opinion, there's plenty of egos at play here and i love that it came up in this film and that's why we're having this ego discussion because that's kind of what this film is about well too. to
1: me the marvel studios logo is nothing but ego at Amen. the at the beginning so For i don't sure. know and to me it's also personal preference i mean with my filmmakers like i i, I want a sense of their tour style in the films that i watch like i want when i watch a scorsese like i want to see his touch Scorsese, And then he had his own thing about talking out about these movies, too, which we don't need to get into. But uh, to be told you can't do this because you have to check the boxes Uh, in terms of I was getting what am I to say? Like, I would love an opportunity to make a Marvel film, but, you know, I would want to, you know, make it my own, too. And if I have to check boxes and that makes me not get to do my own thing, then I can see how it rubs some people the wrong way. There's no denying the power of the machine, but there is a denying in the standoutedness of some of these films.
0: I wish what we, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But I wish what we would get is what their version of it was. Cause I hear like Tim Burton's version of Batman and go fuck yourself. Yeah. Literally. Again. A uh, brainiac Spider-Man. Seriously, Nick Cage with long hair and like literally fuck off. Oh, you're talking about Superman uh, lives. Su- yeah. That's right. What did I say? Batman returns. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Superman lives. So yeah, that sounds like a disaster. But. What I'm curious is, okay, here's your plan. And what did you want it to look like? Because they come onto a project and unless they're writing with the writing team, the the product's already in place. Yeah. So Scott Derrickson may say... I left because of created differences and he probably did. Mm -hmm. But what are we talking about? What was your vision that was different Mm -hmm. compared to what they want? Because when you sat down at the table and they said, here's the script, do you want to do it? Or we'd like you to do that. Here's the script. Where in the process did you start and then say, oh yeah, the script that I read and now that we're shooting isn't what I want to do anymore. And I'm out. And we never get the second piece of that argument, which is, I wanted to do this instead, with the exception of a little bit from Edgar Wright, because I think that, that there's probably some non-disclosure clauses in
1: there of what they're allowed to say and not say. You but know, they're, they're going
0: to fire you. Yeah, <laughs> you're fired, or
1: sue you, or what? Whatever. Yeah. I, I I don't know, but it's it's the Marvel Studios machine is so intriguing to me because it is to me filmmaking by almost upper management. Like you're given the task see the task through to the end, and you have to do A, B, C, D, E, and F. And then kind of there's some wiggle room in there, but it's almost like A, B, C, D, E, and F, like, really muddle up the wiggle room. You know what I mean? It almost makes trying to write a story, like, it makes it impossible sometimes. So I I don't blame some of these people jumping ship. Like, it's in order to have freedom to, like, just tell a story like that, I mean – And then it depends on what you want to like. It's like will will we palatable and what we want to see on a movie screen is different for everybody. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what what happens going forward. But before we wrap up this episode and I do want to know Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness into the multiverse of madness, whatever it's called Mm -hmm. in the mouth of madness. Mm -hmm. It's a John Carpenter movie. Uh, What's your expectations from that film? Hi. Well, Dick Derrickson's out. And they're like, okay, we're, we're going to get in a seasoned superhero director, but a guy who really rooted himself in horror. So, yeah, what's your expectations with that film?
0: From everything that I've read, the villain is Nightmare, mm. which speaks to Mephisto and a horror-like element. So, Scott Derrickson, it's a shame maybe to lose him because he seems to have a vast knowledge of Doctor Strange, but that might also just be a really good PR agent to saying that.
1: Well, I'll also say, I mean, I don't love Emily Rose as much as some people do, and deliver Rust from Evils, whatever. The Evil Dead's on a holy mantra for me. Like, mm-hmm. so to lose Derrickson and then to get Raimi, it's almost like an upgrade for me. Uh, so, so your expectations might even be higher than mine. I think it's actually the it's the Marvel film I think I'm the most looking forward to of what's been announced so far.
0: Hmm. Okay. My I, my I hmm.
1: my thing is though, Matt, and I hope, and we'll, we'll do that episode. When is that? When is that? I November? Think, I think it's February. Oh, okay. or March. Okay. I really hope they don't defang Raimi, though. You know what I mean? Everything we just said in the last fifteen minutes about this thing. Let him do. Uh, let him make the movie that you hired him to make. You hired him for a reason. Is it his knowledge of superheroes, or is it his? propensity to dabble in the horror with a fantastical element. Let him do what he's good at and let him tell your story and don't muddle down the, the, his particular style. Cause that's what worked really well in Spider-Man too. He was like
0: the perfect combo to like tackle that, that world, that universe. I would just say the way he walked away from Spider-Man three mm-hmm. is pretty good evidence that if it's not working he wouldn't come on and do it. Absolutely. I know money talks, but money talked on Spider-Man 3 too. You Let's to be talk, honest about it.
1: You want to talk about another uh, producer interfering inter Sony pictures and Amy Pascal and all the suits that a- Avia Rod that told him how to make Spider-Man
0: 3. So mm-hmm. this is, I a- don't think that's going to happen again. This is like his revenge tour. So there you go. <laughs> I think all of that being said, <clears throat> there is some, some yardage markers that seem to lead to, this is headed down the right path if you just listen to your own history. Sure. And if there's the horror element that Nightmare and Mephisto might lend itself to, Sam Raimi's a good choice.
1: I'm on board, yeah. I'm, sure. I'm really looking forward to that. And then Scarlet Witch is in the fold. Like I'm interested to see how these characters, Rachel McAdams, if they're coming back, and Toby Maguire. <laughs> see, you see what I mean? Like, we're getting into the weeds
0: with like established other multiverse film properties. So how they do that though, could be something as a snapshot of time in his mind or some version of a travel through a dimension. We'll see how they do it,
1: but we're going to see strange before that film. We are in Spider-Man. No, no far from no way home. Something home week of
0: Christmas. He's 20. I think
1: he's, Again, there's been no trailer and I'm taking everything as rumor at this point, but I think his role is going to be pretty substantial in that movie. So uh, we'll see. We'll see him before his next film. And so we'll we'll definitely know where Strange stands after those two. Is he the new lead of the team? What is his role going forward? We'll we'll know by March. Yeah, this film uh was 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 fairly profitable again i mean the the this is again why the the money machine the factory element i mean it's proved itself because off of a 165 million dollar budget it can do almost 700 worldwide so (laughs) whoever thought something like dr strange could bring in that much money but like because people go see the brand now they go they want to see the next adventure and they, they did a good job in getting this one on the screen after it's tr- crazy history
0: to get there. Mm-hmm. Matt, what's your favorite tasting note of Doctor Strange? Uh, the battle on the brain against Dormammu. That looks really great. I love that bit. It's just, I, I we stopped and looked up some Peter Max stuff for a few minutes, mm-hmm. and I'm not one to ever just sort of be awash in the color on screen. That's not my deal. But it is in this one. I sure did like that. I think that's mine too. I think it's
1: I like it because it's just such a different fight for villain and and or hero and supreme bad guy. Usually, it's like a huge fisticuffs mm-hmm. or a lightsaber battle or Godzilla versus Kong. Like it's so bombastic at times, and here it's just so simple. It's almost it borders on the comedic. Yeah. Him returning time after time and dying in a multitude of ways. Uh, I yeah I really like that. I thought they handled that uh pretty well. I wonder if we have the same one here. What's the
0: oh my God! moment of Doctor Strange? Uh, I kind of shrugged my shoulders and cringed a little bit when the windshield shattered and his hands were eviscerated on the auto accident. Oh, that's mine too. I mean, yeah.
1: I, I tried to think too. I was like, in the totality of Marvel Comics, other than Doctor Strange or uh, Bruce Banner being blasted by a gamma bomb in the middle of the desert. Man, I think Strange got dealt the worst hand in this. Uh, him and Stark uh per- pretty bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, Steve Rogers is lucky he got to like do a serum and got like super ripped. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These guys got into like gruesome injuries of and then it's how they deal with them. So, I thought that scene was pretty crazy, like yeah. pr- pretty well done. Yeah. Well, he's driving like a maniac too. Like Jesus, he's like cutting in and out of lanes, it's raining. Like what the hell's he doing? Mm-hmm. Who's
0: the master distiller on Doctor Strange? Benedict Cumberbatch. Downey's Stark, he's the second best casting in Marvel's universe. Oh, wow! I'm gonna give you that.
1: That's pretty good. Uh, I'm gonna give it to him too. Yeah, uh, I think it's, it's good casting, but like it, he differentiates himself enough from Stark where he's not a carbon copy of him, mm-hmm. he's uh, uh, coming in from like a different area with the medicine. Uh, the egos there but like you said we said earlier he's like so much more unlikable than stark like and then we have to do almost extra work to make him likable and i think by the end and then his appearances in the subsequent films and i really think he finds his own like him his involvement in infinity war is so good Mm -hmm. uh and how they use that character uh, so yeah, I got to give it to him. It's it's great casting. I'm a fan of the guy. I think the guy's a, a really good actor. I mentioned had you had you seen Sherlock, uh, his take on Sherlock. Like he's got such an interesting way of delivering lines and dialogue.
0: The pro tag and tag battle between him and Ebony Ma is so so spot on. Those two characters are the same character on each side, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit brief. We don't get a ton of it, but those, watching those two guys square off could be a really fun. Mystical battle to watch. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I love it.
1: How are you going to rate and great Doctor Strange? We have Rock
0: Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Where are you lining up on this one? This is Single Barrel for me. Uh, This is one of my four favorite Marvel films. Mm-hmm. I love it. There are, it's not perfect. <clears throat> the parts that are not perfect that normally would be deal breaking moments of quick shut it off if it wasn't for the podcast. Yeah, I sure. That yeah, there, it. there's none of that. The visual piece is such that. Uh, I'm able to just lose myself back in the grandeur of the movie versus the critical analysis of story. And that's saying something. The other thing, too, that I'll tell you, this is about watch six or seven for me. It has gotten better each time I've watched it. Nice. So there's not a lot of movies that can say that either. Yeah, that's like a rating into of itself. Mm-hmm. Like, how does it age the more you watch it? Aged really well for me. And especially now that we know what happened with time and how important that was. There are just lots of little tiny moments in this movie that lead to the larger time element that we get. It, and again, that's a problematic issue too, but not because of this film. Yeah. But it teases at it in a way that it gives the movie upon rewatch uh, a more solid foundation than on the first watch.
1: This film's able to get away with it before it gets too complicated down the road. So yeah. really establish the the kind of the playing field. I'm probably going to be a call plus for this one. I think this is a very watchable film. Um, I've only, this is my second viewing, but not like I'll ever not watch it again. You know what I mean? So again, this is, you know, Marvel doing what they do best. These origin stories, like they're really good at, we got to bring this crazy idea, which is this psychedelic mystical wizard character. And we got to make him fit in a world that has an iron man and a captain America. And I think they're able to do that really well. Um, I'm very, very much looking forward to seeing where this goes next. Uh, this could uh, really expand the character, but also expand the Marvel Universe, either for the worse or for the better. I hope for the better because I need more clarity than confusion right now at this point. But yeah, Call Plus, this is, I think, this is a pretty solid, this is in the 24-ish five films that they've done, this would probably be top 10 for me. I yeah. think this is this is pretty, pretty well up there, so... Yeah. This is great uh, to to revisit this and to also just talk about the Marvel because like I can't think of another entity that's like primo Hollywood right now. I mean like they're like just churning along money winners like left and right, and like we you and I have joked offhandedly like this is it this is this is the end like this is like after this we're we're done. And, like, time and time again, they prove us wrong. They're like, "Eh, people are still going to go see those movies. You know what I mean? So, like, what is the thing that's going to be where people are like, I'm done. Like, I'm tired of it. I need a break. Um, Maybe we'll find out next week. (laughs) I
0: don't know. As successful as Fast and Furious has been. Oh, this is this ain't even close. And that's probably the closest second, wouldn't you? Contemporary going. Maybe Bond. Bond.
1: well Bond is it's hard to lump Bond because that's been going since the 60s and the
0: Craig version of Bond
1: uh, I don't know it's I would even say no like it's it's Marvel it's Marvel's game it's Marvel's yeah, game to lose I and agree. it's everyone's game to catch up yep if you want to catch up try to Dark Universe <laughs> DC oh excellent well let's wrap this up with our nightcap Ooh, that's kind of psychedelic yeah. All righty, in honor of Mr. Mads Mickelson who like we just said is he's so good at playing the villain characters the villain element in a lot of whether it's casino royale or hannibal or upcoming as grindelwald and the fantastic beast franchise the guy's really good at playing evil so i, I think he's he, for me he was a great casting choice for a villain that was you know, kind of kind of just okay go so my question to you is casting choices in the villain realm what are your three uh favorite casting choices in the marvel cinematic
0: universe Do you want me to go three, two, and one? Do
1: we want to set some rules here? I don't know if he's on your list, but do we want to kind of eliminate Brolin as Thanos to make it interesting?
0: He didn't make mine anyway. Okay. but Sure. Okay. Yeah, so he's eliminated. All right. (laughs) No Brolin. I'm going to stretch the rules a little bit at number three. Okay. This character is eventually incorporated into the Marvel Universe in a switcheroo with Sony, but I'm going to go with Keaton and his Vulture. Oh, great choice. So I know that that's not technically but it fuck it it is no
1: it 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 is because it's in
0: the box set that i have so it's part of it (laughs) so there's my number three what's your number three
1: wait can i ask you real quick i know we're going long here Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. what is what is it about because adrian tombs the vulture is like kind of just a nondescript villain in the comic books like what in the film made him
0: interesting to you adrian tombs is aged and forgettable and there's a reluctance within that character to be anything more than kind of a laughing stock. And I think that Michael Keaton in this, because he's a little bit longer in the tooth than some of the other ones that they might have chosen to play villains, mm-hmm. fits the character perfectly. He even kind of with his hair looks like tombs. Yeah. Uh that's a big deal for me. I want them to look like what I recognize them from comics looking like. And Maybe it's because Michael Keaton already had a career in the superhero realm, and that was a whole lifetime ago of film going. Playing the good guy. To come back, he just fits the space of what old, barely joints working, arthritic, angular, wiry Adrian Toomes looks like to me. He
1: came close to making my list too. The scene when he goes to pick up Liz out Al- It's Liz Allen, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we don't like conveniences in movies, and that scene when he opens the door, and was like, oh, shit, Like he's the dad to this guy. But that doesn't work for me. But the scene of him dropping Peter off at the dance, and he was like, yeah. I know who you are. Don't you try it, or I'll, I'll kill you and everyone you care about. Like, that's good. Like, that's good stuff. So, great choice. Good. Three for you. James Spader, Ultron. Uh, the Ultron character, in a nutshell, doesn't, but this wasn't your favorite characters. It was castings. The character is kind of a m- missed opportunity for me. The casting of Spader though is not, uh, he did the motion capture for the Ultron and that's whatever. It's the voice. It's that Spader playing his villain from the eighties, whether it's less than zero or what was the other one? Was it pretty in pink? Like all those bastards he played in the eighties, him doing that for this robot. He just has such a natural, uh, dictation. And I, I really went back and him and Downey Jr. have probably been in probably about four or five movies together. So I wonder if they reminisced on the set of age of Ultron. Hey, do you remember the less than zero dates? Uh, but I think the, the, the voice more than anything uh, I think makes it happen for me. So that's my number three. I think that's a good casting for a villain that just kind of falls flat for me. Yeah.
0: yeah good yeah. choice. Number two, mm-hmm. Daniel Brühl as Baron Zemo. He just looks Eastern European uh, I'm able to buy with him and his understated manner. Like the thing about Daniel Bruhl mm-hmm. is he's always so calm, regardless of what the situation is. We have yet to see Baron Zemo lose his shit in anything yet. Very strategic, very orchestrated, very deliberate. and, he looks like the kind of guy on the street that you would just pass by and not think two times about because he's just the everyman, but the everyman as mastermind, and that's tough to cast nondescript, and he's perfect at it.
1: Good choice. Thanks. Hope Falcon of the Winter Soldier hasn't totally destroyed that character for (laughs) us. Yeah, hopefully. Because there's a lot of potential with him Mm -hmm. and what he could represent and be. My number two, Michael B. Jordan, Eric Killmonger from Black Panther. I that's think great one. to you know, bring some humanity to some of these villains is what I've been needing. And that's I didn't get that with Cassillis, but you get that with him. And especially in that opening sequence when that thing shows up to that apartment complex. And you really see this kind of just dejected, kind of like not picked version of like what royalty is. And then when he supplants royalty. And we're just a big fan of the guy, whether it's Creed or Chronicle. Like, mm-hmm. we really like the journey of Michael B. Jordan as an actor. So to see him go full bad was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I thought he did a really good job at it. It's almost a shame that they killed him off at the end of that movie. You know what I mean?
0: That's what but I was just going to say. It's
1: almost like they, they find a good thing with some of these
0: villains. And I was like, well, we're done with you. And I'm like, oh, gosh, like, don't do it. <laughs> Especially the prominent role that he could play in that series going forward. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Yeah. Chadwick Boseman. Exactly. That's a shame. Yeah, he's a good one. Nice choice. Good yep. one. Who's your number one? I wonder if we have the same one here. Okay. Mr. Hugo Weaving as the resident. Oh, Skull. my God. We do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, because he's really good at it, and I don't like Hugo Weaving and everything. By the time The Matrix was finished, I was pretty much over Mr. And Smith. They
1: Conversation for another day. And he's terrible
0: <laughs> as the constable in Wolfman. Oh God, I forgot about it. he was in that. Yeah, you're right. But he's really good in this. Oh, yeah. Kind of because he almost doesn't even need makeup to be the Red Skull, huh? The makeup makes it that much better <laughs> because it's so good, but like it's like
1: his face structure and for a, a character that I think we'd been waiting a long time to see. And man, they, they 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 tried in the 90 Matt Salinger version of Captain America to do Red Skull and it was a disaster like here technology's caught up with it where they can actually do some and he's cool man like mm-hmm. he's like he's evil and he's got his little Armin Zola henchman but Hugo Weaving's we could say as much as Mickelson like Weaving's good at playing bad guys too. Yeah. He just has just that look to him. So uh yeah, that's my number 1 choice too. Yeah, good choice. I thought about Daniel Brühl. I wanted to get Josh Brolin off the table with with Thanos, but uh, the, some great the, the, they're really good at casting their movies whether hero or villain they usually get someone in
0: there that can like really do some cool stuff with the characters so the one that I'm kicking the tires on but hasn't gone the route of full bad yet mm-hmm. we'll see if he gets there is Ben Mendelston as Talos mm. there's Scroll, I think scroll right? Yeah. yeah. I think he's a really good actor. He's good at playing villains, too. Also a really good actor at playing villains. So, John Daggett in Dark Knight Rises. Mm, good one. Yep. We'll see if we get there with him or not. Interesting.
1: Uh, oh, What was I going to say about... Uh, this is a perfect lead-in to discussing next week because we're doing Black Widow, releasing next Friday on Disney Plus and in the theaters, if you're going to go.
0: This is Jesse's... What leader in the clubhouse for biggest winner of the summer? So I know, this, right? This is yeah, yours.
1: This is, uh, I either have to win or buy a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of villains, it's Taskmaster, mm. someone that it seems like long overdue to show up in this universe. We don't, they've been very tight lipped on who's playing Taskmaster. I wonder if that's going to be like a good reveal and like it's like this really prominent actor. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's Tom Hanks. Oh, that'd be crazy, wouldn't that it? That would be so weird. <laughs> but I think it's I think it'll be someone substantial. But James like, Franco? Oh no. He's <laughs> it's no way. Persona
0: non grata. Yeah, exactly.
1: So. Uh he uh I think that's interesting though, you know what I mean? To cast a villain and just like we're not gonna tell you who's playing them. Mm-hmm. So there's some secret in the works over there, but I'm looking forward to Black Widow. I wanna see I know it's a prequel of sorts because she's dead also. Mm-hmm but I want to kind of see how they establish this espionage world. That seems like some untapped potential of the Marvel universe that I'm down with because it's been so bombastic for so many films. The last few entries, it's been so worldly and uh, cataclysmic and this, like this seems so simple, you know what I mean? And I'm down for some simple right now. So this is a world I'm I'm ready
0: to get into and let's see what, let's see what they got to offer us. I'm excited. Just be good to see something new and big. Mm -hmm. So I'm, Big in a way that's grounded. I'm (laughs) curious about that post
1: credit scene. Is that gonna tease what's to come or is that gonna wrap up her story? We'll talk about it next week. We will. Excellent. Well, this is we got one more week of this, and then we got a lot of fun stuff in the pipe for the weeks to come. But hit us up on Facebook or Instagram, RiceMileProductions at gmail.com. Uh, hit up the Patreon. Matt and I are going to start our July summer slate of Patreon episodes. Man, we're 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 going to the baseball diamond with some sandlot discussions, our rye watch along, and then we're going to hit the disco floor for some Saturday Night Fever. So I hope your bell bottoms are ironed, Matt, because mm. it's going to be a lot of fun. Feathered hairs just waiting. Excellent. But until then, we'll see you all next week. I got to get going. I have a cape. I need to go iron it. I need to iron the bell bottoms, the cape, uh, and my baseball shirt to get ready for July.
0: You're just a few swipes with the razor away from having that soul patch and that nice looking beard that Doctor Strange has to my friend. I probably could
1: go the Doctor Strange route. You should I do toyed it. with, uh, and I, I didn't want to do it because I was like, because I do, I do, I am enjoying this right now. I was like, I could do the full Tony Stark goatee right now, but I was like, oh gosh, I'd probably
0: mess it up, and then I'd have to shave the whole thing again. <laughs> About the best I could do would be some patchy Logan looking thing. Okay, <laughs> I'm out. Hard out. Excellent. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark.
1: Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash rye smile films for exclusive bonus episodes, plus feature length watch along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Doctor Strange is property of Marvel Studios and Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers.
0: Why are you doing this? Because I see at long last what's wrong with the world. Too many sorcerers.